0: After further review, we're on the phone line with David the Man and God Harris. Just announced his new uh, position, or his now he's pastoring his own church. So now he's the pastor. But now we're gonna talk a little bit about the NBA, NBA playoffs, and the Lakers fiasco. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs. Go ahead, David.
1: All right. So obviously, the big series, since it's the only one that's actually finished. Since we're taking you on a Friday. Milwaukee's kind of put their foot down. We thought Boston may have a little bit more fight in them, but I was thinking about this before the show. We talked about it during the NBA previews at the beginning of the year. Okay, what is Tyree Irving going to be for this team? Is he going to kind of relinquish some of his ball dominant, I'm going to be, you know, me first off, and and try to help be a facilitator for this team that actually went to the used to conference finals just last year. What was Gordon Hill going to look like? What How is this going to impact the likes of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, who really burst out on this scene last year in these playoffs? And it just – I think it's time for Kyrie – well, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward to go because both of them were just used to Gordon more so than Kyrie. But, yeah, it was bad. And granted, Milwaukee is a good team. They were good all year long, which is why they were, you know, the number one team in the East. But
0: we just didn't expect that it would be this embarrassing. Well, one, people thought that the Celtics were built for the playoffs and that, oh, well, the regular season doesn't count. And I I think I mentioned it on this show. You can't can't play like that. You can't just turn it on and off. I mean, you got to go full go and have, you know, your eye on the prize and – and if you're getting lackadaisical like that, that's just a warning sign where you're not taking certain opponents seriously. And I understand that some teams that are championship teams, you get out the gate and you do either okay or you might do really well. And there's just a point of the season where you just dominate everybody. And then you kind of coast towards the end so that you you can have playoff legs and people don't get injured, especially against teams that have nothing to play for either. You know, you don't want to get the injuries. But there was warning signs from the get-go, kind of like in life. You know, you just see the warning signs and people were trying to ignore them, and it just wasn't a good fit. I mean, Kyrie Irving, I mean, I understand where people were thinking that, you know, the team did really well without Kyrie Irving. They add him, they should do well. But, no, that's kind of a dynamic thing that happened where you have to get him the ball and people have to start sacrificing and people's got contracts coming up. It just was a disaster from the get go. And I just and I don't think really Brad Stevens, this is probably the first time that he actually faced a challenge in the NBA, actually coaching a superstar. If you really think about it, most of the teams that he had. Or just average NBA players that he got the most out of. And usually when you have those type of players in the NBA, it's almost m- more closer to a college system. But now when you have an actual guy that can really play and you had to figure out a way to get four other guys to mesh with them, it gets a little bit more difficult. And I, and I, and I think he did an okay job with it, but I think that's what happened. It, that was really the major change. Yeah,
1: and even kind of we saw a little bit of warning signs With their first round series against Indiana, where Indiana was out there just kind of going out there, just going for broke, and right, they didn't have a super. Really struggled with them. They didn't have a superstar.
0: You know, the playoffs are all about the superstar. I think if they would have had Victor Oladipo, the Celtics probably could have got popped in the first round. But I mean, let's just face it. (laughs) I think Boston's talent, or to be honest with you, Kyrie's talent, pretty much superseded. the Pacers. I mean he always hit big shots towards the end and the Pacers couldn't answer because they don't have those type of players but now you're facing the Bucks, where you got Giannis Antetokounmpo um, who could match him and then it was pretty much an even match with basically a great coach and a team that really believes in defense Um, because to be honest with you Milwaukee is not a bad team but I mean, look at the pieces that they have. They have Kakumpo, but then after that, Chris Milton, he he can get you good points, but is he really a good Batman or, I mean, a good Robin to uh, Anteokounmpo's Batman? Bledsoe's okay. They call him the mini LeBron, but that's only because of his athletic ability. I don't really think that's his skill. You got George Hill. Now you got Lopez that can stretch the floor and go inside as well. But it's it's just a bunch of guys that are just hard hat lunch bucket kind of like the Midwest type of basketball players, and then you got this really great talented superstar who really can't shoot from the outside yet. Which I I will see what would be the interesting uh, matchup with with Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia matches up a little bit better with Milwaukee than Toronto does. But but then again, though they got Marcus, all that can match up with Lopez. We'll see. Um. But yeah, I, it was the Boston thing was just a dud.
1: Yeah, and kind of looking at them on well, granted and on paper is a whole different story. But you figure coming into the series and we saw a little bit in Game One. Okay, if you shut down the interior where Giannis has to shoot, okay, who else are you really scared about in terms of a perimeter? And I think in Game One, Boston was able. to, uh, between Baines and, you know, the old man Al Horford, you know, it's kind of like, okay, have a little bit of a strategy. And then from game two on, Giannis was just like, I don't care. All right. Some people were saying, oh, it's jitters. Okay, it's nervousness, not getting to this position before. But then part of it was just like, Giannis, like, look, I'm the MVP of the season league. Like, I'm just going to go out here and ball out. And if you want to try and stop me, that's fine. But, you know, injure at your own risk. And I think when Giannis turned it up, Kyrie, I don't want to say dialed it down, but that's when we started here complaining about the referees officiating, not getting to the free throw line as much as Giannis did. And it's like all these distractions that you are you know, self inflicting to your team, that now everyone's talking about that and kind of your comments, which even more estimates, the, okay, is Kyrie going to leave here? Because he's talking like he ain't coming back.
0: It mm, could be a possibility, and then you have Rozier saying he sacrificed the most, and, and and you could just tell that guys' roles, and that's the thing, guys' roles really change. But just to think that just over a week ago, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, I mean, pretty much they got rickrolled. <laughs> I mean, Boston really just... You know, Rick rolled Milwaukee, and everyone's like, Well, Milwaukee's not ready for the test. And then Milwaukee just swept them four straight games, gave them the old gentleman sweep, and, and ended it at home. Um, but as I said, I think roles changed. Some guys couldn't adapt. We had a lot of young guys on the team, and I think that they thought you know, it, it, it's kind of difficult playing with a guy that somewhat can be a little ball dominant, especially if. If guys don't really buy into that role, I mean, you know, last season, you know, Kyrie was there, but he kind of was, and he was injured most of the time, so it was passing the ball around a lot, um, and everyone was getting touches, everybody was eating, and then when Kyrie comes back, the guy, let's face it, the guy is a, a top talent in the league, so you, you're gonna you're gonna have it where he needs to be. Ball dominant. I mean, he he has to have the ball in his hands, and I think some of those guys just couldn't accept that.
1: Yeah, and and I wouldn't even be surprised if in this off season, not just Kyrie thinks about leaving, but they try to see if they can get something for Gordon Hayward because he was supposed to be the number two kind of scoring option we talked about in the playoffs. Mm. If you don't have a two, like you can have your superstar option, but who's going to be your number two? Because that's all was important. We're seeing that with Houston. We're seeing that with well, Golden State has like six different number two guys. But then even with in the Philadelphia-Toronto and Toronto series, like who's going to be the number two guy that when the other when the number one option is getting double teamed, who can they pass the ball to? And coming into the season, yes, he was coming off the injury, but Hayward was supposed to be you know top twenty-five, top thirty talent in the league, and he was just like, there's an APB off for him.
0: Well, Haywood. Here's the problem. Haywood. He had that injury too, and I don't think he's been the same since. And and I think an injury like that, even though he's come back physically, mentally, he's got to come back. And I think, um, he might be back to normal next season. But I kind of figured this season, you know, that that was a horrific injury, and he might not be ever back to that top form that he was. That he that they were expecting him to be like. After he left Utah, that was a, that was another issue too. Was a, a new role for him. You know, we know how horrific that injury is. He's not going to be yeah. physically back to where he used to be before it. So that was an, another thing. Um, it, like I said, I um, it, it, it it was a, a crazy situation with them, and it just I think everything caught up with them, and they just. Couldn't reel, and you could just tell in the body language of the players as well. Um, I think the best thing, possibly for the Celtics, would be for Kyrie just to move on and uh, start anew, and have a team build around him because he kind of. And Marcus Smart made a good made a good comment, and he's one of his better friends that you just didn't know how what Kyrie had to go through, and that's true. They had a system already set up; they were already winning. He gets traded for Isaiah Thomas. This isn't a situation like where Kyrie was coming in and the team had never made the playoffs or made a run to the Eastern Conference of Finals or anything like that. They basically were winning, and they were competitive, and they were tops in the East. So, th- th- that, like I said, that dynamic kind of changed. I think if he moves on maybe to the Knicks, possibly – then I think you can start kind of putting some pieces around and that could fit Kyrie a little more than what happened in Boston.
1: Yeah, and I think it has been speculated basically since, well, I mean, all season. It's like, okay, will Kyrie Lee, will Kyrie And then it's just kind of been amplified and elevated to now. I think more people will be surprised if he stays, given the tension, given the turmoil, given all the, Things that happen off the court, kind of chemistry wise, because I think, and it's not because Kyrie's a bad player. It's just when you have a team that gotten to where they did last year, and there's a speed decline. It's not as though okay, they battled, they lost, they fought in all six games, or they lost, you know, heartbreaking game seven. Like they got ripped rolled and forced straight by a team that a lot of people were like, okay, it's so yeah, it's Giannis, but and there's you know a lot of experience in other places, but are we really sure that Milwaukee can actually do this thing? And to get rick by that kind of team with all this playoff experience, the chemistry that you have, and Kyrie is supposed to be, hey, you want a ring, like you're basically the reason that Cleveland has a ring. And it's like, where's that playoff leadership? Where's that playoff experience? Where's that, hey, put the team on my back and let's do this thing? Instead of, well, let me you know complain, let me do this, that, and the other. And now Boston's at home when a lot of people, including myself, thought, hey, if this goes six, you know anything can happen because that's when experience. And being here before plays a lot more
0: into your hand. Yeah, that's true. Other other series that you're talking about? Uh the obviously and, the Rockets, Warriors. Now we're taping this before uh game six. The Warriors are up three two, so by the time they listen to this, it it could the series could be over or it's going to a game seven. But Kevin Durant is out the rest of the series. Yeah,
1: and kind of listening to the report, some people say, oh, this was really bad because Kevin Durant being a possible, you know, number one scoring option, being able to get his own shot, and then what he does defensively, and then hearing also, well, you know, don't say dominate and kick everyone's butt without Kevin Durant, so do they go back to their old school thing? My thing is, if I'm Houston, James Harden, you better not, just not shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. Because if you go out basically like a punk, if we're just going to be honest. And they end up do losing whether in six or seven. Like, this is now James Harden, you should drop 50, you know, 55, 50. Like, all those games where you're doing your 30-point streak, like, now would be a really good time to do that because now you have a Warriors team that, yeah, they may have a little chemistry that they're trying to get back to, kind of getting back to the old thing. But Clay and Steph really haven't been that dominant this series. Mm-hmm. Draymond Green has been, you know, up and down, up and down, nearly a dollar the same. And now that they're down one of the primary scoring options, you got to take advantage of that, not just offensively, but defensively. Get in Steph's head, get in Clay's head. Like, if you want to be the MVP, like these two games will validate whether people think he's an MVP or he's, you know, just a guy who shoots a lot at least for me Mm -hmm. because now we're in a situation where okay game six again we're taking before the game but like if he goes less than 40 points i I don't care about you know your theatricals jumping into you know drop kicking to get a foul call (laughs) like ain't trying to like they ain't hearing that same for you chris at that you know the same length like Dominate this game, ball If I'm James Harden, or if I'm Chris Paul.
0: Well, they have to. If not, they're gonna get the loss, and they're gonna be uh, going home. And it kind of, it kind of puts a dent in James Harden as a player. Is are gonna say once again he's a great regular season player, but when he gets to the playoffs, he kind of fades? Or you know, all that jump shooting and all that dribble, dribble ball that not, not getting everyone involved. Like you know that that ball don't work against teams like. If you want to be a champion, so they they need they have to win. They base they really need to just win the series. But like I said, they they really need to uh, win tonight, or it's over.
1: Yeah, and I and I'm fully expecting this to go seven again. I mainly because you know ESPN needs something to talk about, but at the same time, Clay could go off for forty. He could he could have twenty and a quarter for that matter. Steph can go off. We could have one of those vintage Andre Iguodala performances where he's just, you know, finals MVP mode and he just wants to stop everybody. Mm. But if I if I'm Houston, this is going to say a lot about this team moving forward. Because it's not as though Chris Paul is getting any younger. It's not as though you can rely on these role players that you, you know, live by the three, die by the three, kind of regular season performances and everything. It's like this may be the end of this kind of core group if they don't make it out of this series. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are going to, like I said, raise questions. Okay, can James Harden really be the guy for your team? What about Chris Paul? You know, he's actually playing and he's not injured. So, what, you know, is he on the decline or is he? How much does he have left in the tank? There's going to be a lot of questions in Houston at the end of the series. Do I think that they'll win now because Golden State, you know, outside, unlike Boston, where if they don't give 100%, like they struggle, we know Golden State can play at 85-90, put up 120 points. But And I fully expect, whether it's in game six tonight or in game seven, they can ramp it up to that 100% if they need to. And that's going to be dangerous.
0: Yeah, that that could be key. Now, in other series, we have another good one. Now, if if the Warriors lose, we'll have three Game 7s on Sunday. That'd be crazy. And the other Game 7s will be Portland and Denver.
1: Yeah, the, the, actually, the best series so far of the semis, it's a series that literally no one is talking about outside of Portland and Denver. But we thought David Lillard struggled for a good chunk of the series. We were talking about Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic. Like, I know that the conversation between Giannis and James Harden for MVP, but Jokic is going to get some eyeballs to try to him. I wouldn't be surprised if someone's like, hey, you you want to leave Denver? Like, we can send you to a bigger market if you want. Because I just think his game, like, he's kind of like a bigger version of Giannis. Hmm. Kind of in that He's you know obviously bigger in terms of his physicality, but he can run the floor like a point guard. He can shoot the outside. Granted, Giannis can't shoot the outside shot as efficiently as Jokic can, but like he's like he's the evolution of the, the game. And I think a lot of people are seeing, hey, this is a guy that we were saying triple doubles left, right, and center. Like, yeah, he's actually good. And similarly with Portland, if Dame and CJ to drop eighty together. They can do that. But, yeah, that that series, I think, we didn't know, really know what to expect because between, you know, between San Antonio and Denver coming out of the previous round, it was a toss-up. Eh, yeah, we'll have a good series either way. Mm-hmm. Not really sure what to expect. But, yeah, this was, and these are two franchises that, again, no one really pays attention to because they're on West and they're in small markets that I mean, Portland is more of a basketball market than Denver is. But, mm-hmm. like, like that's a really good series. And I think both teams could give Golden State who I expect to go through problems. Because can, can any of the bigs really, can you really go Hampton 5 with Jokic out there? I mean, we know Damon has this, you know, tip on his shoulder about, you know, point guard and, between Steph Curry or Chris Paul, like he so he's going to want to be a shooter. So, it, Western Conference is nice this year, and I think it's going to surprise a lot of people, whether Portland or Denver.
0: Then you also have uh, Toronto and Philadelphia. This has been an interesting series where it's been nothing but blowouts, basically. But that's going on in Game Seven as well.
1: Yeah, kind of for, on Toronto's side. It's basically, Kyle, please show up. Mm-hmm. Like, for the love of God, like, Kawhi is trying his hardest to do everything he can. And he just needs someone to pitch in. And in terms of Philadelphia, like, I'm starting to, like, dislike Joel and Embiid and Vincent is more because the more that they talk, the more they trash talk and post-game pressers and everything. It's like, first of all, Joel like, you're barely playing half the time. True. And Vince is you can't shoot, so you shouldn't say anything. <laughs> like you develop your jump shot, understand that your game is, you know, dribble job going to the lane, but, like, you two have no cloud. But what's really surprising is kind of the way that Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler have really... Because uh, they don't have any bench depth. Right. And so it's really good. Those two, I don't want to say Manning the ship for the majority of the series when Joel Embiid is doing whatever he wants to do or when Ben Simmons is just, all he's doing is dribble driving. It's like like this core four like this should be an interesting game seven. Do I I think Toronto will probably win just because Kawhi is gonna have this all war performance. But yeah, did really anyone expect this to not go six or not go seven? And just just play basketball is kind of my life lesson. Like, um, unless you're fully healthy in case of Joel Embiid or you actually have an actual basketball well-rounded game, like just do like Kawhi does. Just don't say nothing. And if you have to say something, just say like two or three words. We all understand.
0: Yeah. You know, Embiid gets at least six treatments before every game. I don't, they didn't specify what his treatments are, but he does. They do give him treatments to uh, to at least keep him uh, healthy. Moving on. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Lakers fiasco what is, what is it that you wanted to chime in it's it's more and more I feel bad it's more and more the Lakers are just looking disastrous and not even looking like a well ran organization it's going from the l a Lakers to like the old school clippers i mean just this prestigious uh basketball team is it, it, it's 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 just going down the toilet and and it's it's just sad to watch.
1: Yeah, and it's almost borderline, you can say, embarrassing. And so for those that have been living under a rock or who just kind of refused to walk ESPN because it's LeBron, Ty Lue kind of stepped back from the contract negotiations to be the head coach. Kind of the principal reason is because the Lakers offered him a three-year deal instead of kind of the the minimums kind of agreed upon universal – kind of just give a guy five years like they did with Luke Walton. And so kind of the rationale that was spoken about throughout the week from a majority of outlets is, okay, LeBron got three years left on the Lakers deal. You bring in Ty Lue, who he worked with in Cleveland. Okay, so that's your three years. But then also the hiccup was kind of, okay, the Lakers will provide the assistant coaches rather than Ty Lu getting his own staff. And it just kind of reeked of, Okay, do you did you really want Tyloo, or did you want this to kind of be, Le, you know, LeBron the type GM, basically, you know, an assistant coach kind of capacity?
0: Well, well, 20. the Rambuses wanted him wanted to pick his staff. Remember, they got Linda Rambus and Kurt Rambus are also in on the hiring and in on some of the, the daily operations along with Rob Polinka, and that's who Jeannie Buss brought in. I guess Linda Rambus has been a longtime friend of Jeannie, and she's. You know, it, it's basically a mom and pop shop. From what I've been hearing, how they're how they're running this, and they basically uh, wanted to pick his staff, and they were the ones that only wanted to give him the three year contract. Jeannie bush just wanted him to be the actual coach. Um, yeah, and, and, like, and that's a that, that you know, and I think that that's just to me. What's getting ridiculous is is now what are we we're down to? Monty Williams didn't want to. Uh, Coach there. He went to the Suns and they're really, they're horrendous. And then uh who else? You got um Lou doesn't want the job. You got Rob Polinka that no one wants to negotiate. I, I, really, to be honest with you, if the Lakers really want to move forward, they got to get rid of Rob Polinka. If, if no one wants to negotiate with you and do deals with you because of Rob Polinka and of his past as being an agent you're never going to move forward. I mean, you're not. And now, think about it. The, the, the draft is coming up. They're doing the draft lottery, I think, this weekend. they got to get a coach in place at least and, and or know what's going on with the GM situation.
1: Yeah, and I'll even go one step further than just do a rock Blanca. Like, why are the Ram? Where are the Rambuses? Like, I understand, you know, Laker legend being a part of the Laker family, but, like, are you, are you guys on staff? Are you guys, like, are you guys in tune or is it just, you know, Mom and Pop, because you know, you're friends with Jeannie Bott.
0: The, the latter. The, the ladder like, she's, she's like, are having... you helping
1: the actual franchise? Because, as far as I'm concerned, is that a basketball decision move to have the Rambuses in there? Because, you know, kurt, I mean, granted, kurt been around the game for a little bit since his playing days and his time and management and kind of on the other side off the court, but. Is he, you know, as reliable of a source, is he going to give you the X's and O's breakdown, like give you kind of back and forth? Or is he just going to be, you know, hey, you know, I'm here. So, since I'm in the room, might as well pick up a, you know, take a seat, pick up a magazine, and, you know, just chime in every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there has to be some kind of stability. And because you don't have a GM, because Magic last for whatever reason, whether, you know, emails or feeling disrespected or otherwise. Like, if anything, the Lakers had been proven some sense of stability and normalcy and not kind of the laughing stock of the an organization. And it just seems like really, and I think it was when Jones who said this, kind of really since they fired Mike Brown and brought in Mike D'Antoni, like kind of the downward spiral, because then you kind of do all these bad trades and negotiations, you know, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard era that we spent phew, how many times talking about Dwight Howard as a Laker. Kind of then you bring in bad coaches. Then the end of the Kobe era, that's really not over because Rob Pelink is still in the building. It's just gone down here. And now that you're reaping the benefits of not having as many good, you know, solid draft hits this year, you, Thought you were tanking so you can get a high draft pick, but nope. De Brian and LeBron, so you're not really tanking. So you're gonna have a mid first round draft pick. It's like
0: where is this
1: franchise? Well oh, remember, to they didn't they, did, they
0: didn't they didn't make the playoffs. They do have an opportunity, even though it, it is small, to get up for, to get up in the lottery.
1: Yeah, I mean, they'll probably break the system somehow. I mean, now, allegedly. Allegedly that maybe a frozen theme pong ball. I'm not saying it happened with the Knicks and Patrick Ewan. I'm just saying it's a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's like and we talked about it throughout the season. Okay, with LeBron James, it's a win now attitude. Mm-hmm. But all the other ownership executive decisions really aren't talking about win now. It's more of eh, we'll just kind of you know float here being the Tamster to wheel. And then when LeBron leaves do a rebuild. Well, that's three years that you're, I don't want to say wasting, but you brought in all these other young guys so that you can have that as your core. And three years down the line, if they're not good, you're going to get rid of them and start all over. It's like, what are you doing as a Lakers organization?
0: Well, they're just messing up. <laughs> I hate to say it. They're just, they're just, they're, they're messing up. It's just, like I said, it, it it looks very disorganized, and I think it's. I think I can you know congratulate really to be honest with you, um, uh, Tyron Lue, just to get away from the foolery. I mean, you know, you want five years, you want to show that I'm a championship coach. You're not going to just bring in my staff. I mean, I would stay away from the Lakers it, right now. It's the management's bad. Whoever comes in there is going to be. I, if it was me, I wouldn't go in there to be a coach. Because you're going to be the scapegoat. You're the fourth option. You know, this is where it, it gets kind of crazy. When you, I've seen this. It's kind of like what happened with Beckman from Toledo. He was like the fourth, fifth option for for the eye. And then later on you find out there was a lot of stuff that was going on at the school when he he took it over. And granted, yeah, he got paid. But look what happened in the end. I mean, it, as the coach, guess what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna take the downfall. I mean, that, that's just what it is. You're going to take the downfall, no matter what. If you're now winning, and there's no formula for winning, it's just, it's just, there's just, it's just not. I mean, that's just. Let's let be honest about that. Where how are they going to really win here? You gotta, you have a uh, a, a GM in, in Rob Polinka that nobody wants to deal with. So you're not going to get any players. I mean, let's be honest. You're not you're not going to get any, any any players. You got an aging superstar. I mean, <clears throat> you got guys that don't want to go to L.A. Some reason because of LeBron. You know, they don't want to play second fiddle or they don't want their games to drop. So it's just a, a total mess. So I think in the long run, it was the best for you know Tyrone Lu to walk away. But the person that does get the job is probably going to be just like Luke Walton, a kind of a lame duck. Especially if him and LeBron don't get along, it's just going to be just disastrous.
1: And kind of thinking about this, I I think I know the perfect head coach who can come in—not so much right the ship, but provide that kind of magic that can bring people to Atlas. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bean Bryant?
0: No, he's not. Kind of, he's <laughs> he's staying far away from the game. He doesn't, you know, he's doing stuff with his daughters and the AAU thing with them. So I, I I highly doubt you'll see uh, Kobe Bryant <laughs> doing anything with the Lakers. He might be a consultant or something like that. What I've been told, but I don't I don't. You n- n- might as well chalk that off the list.
1: I mean, I mean, at this point, it has to be either a Rob Polinka guy or a Genie Bus friend of the franchise. Basically, you know I mean, you can go kind of the you know list of former head coaches who are now either working with the mothership, working in other capacities, doing play-by-play color. But at this point, you're looking at former players like, hey, we just want a Laker in here. Right. And at some point, you know, maybe maybe Kobe getting bored. It's like, yeah, I can do this for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm running the triangle with my daughters, you know, bring that to the Lakers. One, and put bucks in the seats because Kobe Bryant as a head coach, you know, mama mentality. Right. You know, it could be player coach. We don't know. Right. But it, it just, for me to even kind of think that and kind of being like slightly serious about it because he is a Palenque guy, he's a Laker guy, Lakers through and through. Like that says something about the state of this franchise because not many people, unless you get like someone fresh off the bench or, you know, hey, I want to start get coaching or get around the league because like you said, who's going to want to? One, be a uh, de facto assistant head coach to LeBron <laughs> as a talent in his career. And then two, deal with just LA media in general is going to you know, eat you alive, regardless of whether you're a coach with 18 rings or, you know, this is your first head coaching gig. Right. So it's, it's going to be, I don't want to say it's going to be important who they bring in because if they're going to look for a guy that's coaching for three years, then is it re- does it really matter who you bring in?
0: True. Yeah, that's true. And you know, we, we're kind of beating this to where the dead horse. So our last segment moving the college three point line back. You wanted to talk about that before we end with this segment in the show.
1: Yeah. So co- college coaches have been negotiating to move back to three point line where it currently is a twenty feet nine inches to the international three point line, which is a little bit over 22 feet. And the rationale reasoning behind this is for spacing, offensive flow, freeing of movement, kind of the logistical, tactical, exit and nose aspect of the game. But for me, I just think, just say you want more scoring in college basketball because that's where the NBA is going. And if you want people to get more, more familiar with kind of close to the NBA line than what it is now, because we see the evolution of this game going away from the rim, even though some of the rationale, and I think Jay Wright was the one, the coach of Villanova, saying, hey, this allows for more players to kind of attack the basket, do more things on the inside of the three-point line. You guys we just want more scoring. Let's just come on.
0: Well, it depends. Um, if your team can shoot the three, then, yeah, it'll open up spacing. And, and hypothetically, that's what what they're, they're thinking about. But at the college level, let, let's be honest, they're not pros. Now, they are high-level players, especially at Division One. If moving the line back does help that, it kind of somewhat does space the floor out. But the thing about it is if the person can't shoot from there, you're packing the lane in. I mean, that that's just what it is going to do. I mean, it, it, I, I think – it, there'll be an evolution eventually, but like like I said, and once you know when the where it was at the old line, old old line or the old line where it's nineteen nine, for years a lot of people couldn't really hit that three, so people just really packed it in. Then kids got a little bit better with shooting the three, and then they kind of spaced the game out a little bit. But I think you're right; it does kind of increase scoring to somewhat of a degree, but some teams got to be kind of careful because now you're looking at a shot where, um, like I said, moving that you be crazy. It's, it's crazy that you move that line back just another foot, and somebody that that's a really good three point shooter can turn into somebody that's just it's just horrible at shooting the three. So now in your offense. I think personally you might start looking at, okay, it'll be more of a specialist shot, I think, more in the college game if they move back into the international. I still think – because kids still can't really shoot. They're still developing their bodies, and I think it'll be now more get it down low, down low to get more high-percentage shots. And it might bring back the mid-range game in the college game, I think. I mean, people will probably still chuck the three, but as I said before, these guys aren't really pros. So now coaches have to be a little more creative. And I don't think a lot of coaches will be, how can I say this, as forgiving if guys start shooting shots and they're not making them. You know, if you're shooting 25 from the the three from behind the three point line, you know, your coach is gonna be looking at you like, mm, you know, you, you need to work on your shot selection. <laughs> so, um, I, I think it, it might open up a little bit from the dribble penetration situation, but then again, I think it might make the college game go a little more inside out, and the mid range game might come back a little bit for a, for a, for a short while until you start getting kids to adjust. And, and start maybe making those shots. But for for a while there, you'll probably see a lot of low shooting percentage from that new line.
1: Yeah, and kind of as I was thinking about and reading kind of the stories, my litmus test right away was, okay, let's look at the final four from this year. Would moving it back to the international three-point line have, have affected either the two semifinals or that game between Texas Tech and Virginia? No, Because for me, it's like, Virginia wasn't like yeah they had a couple guys that shoot three but more than likely it was okay we're just gonna play this game inside and you know mm-hmm.
0: mid range you know, game dribble drive pull they do one dribble pull ups they uh I mean even though on their defense they do their pack line where they try to force guys to shoot from the outside um, other than that I mean th- th- if you think about it, if you watch uh, Virginia they're 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 not really chucking the three. They're mostly going inside and mid range game. So you know, it could turn into a mid range inside game, which would, which would kind of increase more scoring though, because then you get more higher percentage shots. Um Yeah. Kind of the
1: evolution of the big man really.
0: But but, but yeah. then at the same time though, I think a lot of coaches aren't gonna be letting a lot of players let it fly as much. Now the line's only you know, the line is twenty nine. Twenty feet nine inches. You know they might once in a while let you, you know, shoot a couple. You know, okay, that's cool. You still be in the game. But now if you move it back to twenty two feet, I mean it's gonna turn into, dude. You are gonna have to have some bullets in your gun. If you gonna if you're gonna shoot that, you gotta be as they like to say, part of the pew pew gang. You know, get the water pistol out if if, if you're gonna start shooting that shot. Yeah, and it's
1: probably gonna. And we saw a little bit of the evolution with that comparison. When Trey Young came out, where he was shooting it from, you know, thirty, <laughs> pulling up from thirty, and now we're seeing kind of the Steph Curry, Trey Young generation, and even a little bit of James Harden want to pull up from deep. Is that going to be where? Okay, the is at twenty two, so we're just going to start shooting from twenty five, and if it goes in, then it goes in.
0: No, well, once again, Which, those are those are yeah. pros, and a lot of those shots that Steph Curry takes are not very good shots at lower levels, but because he's a pro and he can make those. People kind of get that, and Nate Robinson brought that up on Colin Cowherd's show, that a lot of them shots he takes aren't very good shots.
1: Yeah, and, it's, and because Steph Curry's been basically doing that majority of his career, like, he's comfortable with that. So now, you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, you know, are going to be looking at that like, you know what? Okay, lines at 22. I may not be the best perimeter shooter, but, you know, maybe once in a while, And that's when I think, like you said, we're going to see three-point percentages, 25, 30. Maybe if you're really good, you know, in the 30s. But if someone going to really choose, you know, 40, 45, 50 percent from three at the 22-foot line in college, more than likely not. Hmm. And that's really stretching.
0: Right, that is true. Well, David, what's going on for you this weekend?
1: Game seven, a little bit of football as rookie many camps have started.
0: Oh, that is true. And,
1: and and I guess a little bit of baseball here or there. So what else are we going to talk about until training camp starts?
0: And are you <laughs> starting to pack up already?
1: Yeah, i starting to pack up probably closer to Memorial Day weekend. Okay. So, a little bit of crunch time. But, yeah, pack in, get, at least get some boxes, famous two cases.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that would that would be good. And once again, David. Congratulations.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: All right, man. Well have a good weekend, man. Alright, see you next week. Alright, that was David the man of God Harris. He's got his own uh establishment or his own church now, so he is now. A true pastor of his own congregation. But you can always listen to 88.3 WT's After Further Review on our podcast at SoundCloud and on iTunes. It's WXUT After Further Review on SoundCloud and um, just After Further Review on iTunes. Once again, thanks a lot to Frank Vashner calling in earlier. We're always on WXUT from 11 to 1 right after Tim and Vicky's theme Park. Once again, we should be back hopefully next week. Uh, don't have a crazy hectic schedule. Just was out of town these last two weekends on a long road trip for AAU basketball. But for David and Frank Bachter, I'm Derek Lawson. You guys have a good weekend. Enjoy the sports. Peace. We're out till next week. This is point three WGT. Signed for the review.